welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone. And your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. Now, if there be some of us who perceive loving one another unconditionally as being a hard pill to swallow, remember, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. But when we believe in and keep our focus on the light of the living God within us, our mighty I Am Presence, then loving all God's children and all God's creation becomes effortless because the spirit of the living God that dwells within all of us is a thousand percent pure light and a thousand percent pure love. More light and love than enough for all of us. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and light. And y'all be loved. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love is the highest vibration of all and covers all our relations with our fellow men. Love is the most important law in the universe, and he who is in harmony with this law will be in harmony with all of the others. It is the transgression of the law of love, which causes all evil. Love is the great force to which all men are subject and is more vital and powerful than electricity. Love is the life of man, for without love, life is mere existence. Every soul, without exception, craves love and affection and atrophies for lack of it. To love and to be loved makes life worthwhile. Love is the essence of divine nature, and since love is the nature of God, it must be the nature of man in a correspondingly lesser degree, for man is created in his image. Human love, which is a reflection of divine love, passes through three stages. The first stage is selfish, only the eye is considered, one's own satisfaction, pleasures, desires and comfort. It is the taking, not the giving stage, an elementary expression of love, much too common. The second stage of love is mutual, give and take, or sharing of love. Each lover considers the other's happiness, wishes and welfare. 
This type of love is a much higher manifestation than the first, and becomes more prevalent as man develops. The third stage of love is selfless, it asks nothing in return. The only desire of this type of love is to serve and to worship the adored one. Needless to say, few have reached this high plane of selfless, spiritual love. Since love is manifested chiefly in the first stage, one sees a constant misuse of the term. It is employed by many people to designate a liking for articles, a fondness for foods and drinks, an attachment for places and things. Love, however, in its highest sense can only be properly used to denote affection between the individuals. Love expresses something spiritual, and as such can have no connection with objects that minister solely to the senses. Love your enemies is the soundest advice ever given to man, yet of the master's injunctions, this one seems the most difficult to obey. But what other solution have we to overcome the enemy? With force or revenge one places himself on a level with his opponent. For the time being you are no better than he, however much he may be guilty, and you the innocent party. Moreover hate intensifies the vibration, while love nullifies it. When you hate a man you are bound to him with bonds stronger than steel. Consequently nothing is so foolish as to hate another, for the hater is getting the worst of it. So, if only for your own peace of mind, love your enemies, in no other way can you ever be free from them. Loving people does not mean that you must love all persons to the same degree. Even Jesus had his favorite disciple, the one he preferred above all. But loving does mean that we can be kind, understanding and sympathetic and love people in a platonic sense, which is a beautiful manifestation of spirit. Moreover, it is easy to love the good, or God, which is in all men. Love, like God, is no respecter of persons, or with the worth of an individual. Hence it is not uncommon to see unworthy people the recipient of deep affection. This is not because the loved one is worthy or capable of inspiring so much devotion, but it is due to the great capacity of the other to love. That is the secret of all great loves, the capacity to love, and not the worth of the recipient. 1 John 2 9-11, Matthew 5 43-48, An Eternal Career, by Frank and Lydia Hammer, 1947. Volume 2, Chapter 1 The Roman Catholic Church has two far mightier enemies than the heretics and the infidels, and these are, comparative mythology and philology. When such eminent divines as the Reverend James Freeman Clark go so much out of their way to prove to their readers that critical theology from the time of Origen and Jerome, and the controversial theology during 15 centuries has not consisted in accepting on authority the opinions of other people, but has shown on the contrary, much acute and comprehensive reasoning, we can but regret that so much scholarship should have been wasted in attempting to prove that which a fair survey of the history of theology upsets, at every step. In these controversies and critical treatment of the doctrines of the Church, one can certainly find any amount of acute reasoning, but far more of a still acuter sophistry. Recently the mass of cumulative evidence has been reinforced to an extent which leaves little, if any, room for further controversy. A conclusive opinion is furnished by too many scholars to doubt the fact that India was the alma mater, not only of the civilization, arts, and sciences, but also of all the great religions of antiquity, Judaism, and hence Christianity, included. Herder places the cradle of humanity in India and shows Moses as a clever and relatively modern compiler of the ancient Brahmanical traditions. 
The river which encircles the country, India, is the secret Ganges, which all Asia considers as the paradisaical river. There, also, is the biblical Gahon, which is none else but the Indus. The Arabs call it so unto this day, and the name of the countries watered by it are yet existing among the Hindus. Jacqueline claims to have translated every ancient palm-leaf manuscript which he had the fortune of being allowed by the Brahmins of the Bagodas to see. In one of his translations, we found passages which reveal to us the undoubted origin of the keys of St. Peter, and account for the subsequent adoption of the symbol by their holiness, the popes of Rome. He shows us, on the testimony of the Agrauchata Parikshai, which he freely translates as the Book of Spirits, Petrus, that centuries before our era the initiates of the temple chose a superior council, presided over by the Brahm Atma or supreme chief of all these initiates. That this pontificate, which could be exercised only by a Braham who had reached the age of 80 years, that the Brahm Atma was sole guardian of the mystic formula, resume of every science, contained in the three mysterious letters, AUM, which signifies creation, conservation and transformation. He alone could expound its meaning in the presence of the initiates of the third and supreme degree. Whomsoever among these initiates revealed to a profane a single one of the truths, even the smallest of the secrets entrusted to his care, was put to death. He who received the confidence, had to share his fate. H. P. Blavatsky Finally, to crown this able system, says Jacqueline, there existed a word still more superior to the mysterious monosyllable, AUM, and which rendered him who came into the possession of its key, nearly the equal of Brahma himself. The Brahma-Atma alone possesses this key and transmitted it in a sealed casket to his successor. This unknown word, of which no human power could, even today, when the Brahmanical authority has been crushed under the Mongolian and European invasions, today, when each pagoda has its Brahma-Atma forced the disclosure, was engraved in a golden triangle and preserved in a sanctuary of the temple of Asgartha, whose Brahma Atma alone held the keys. He also bore upon his tiara two crossed keys supported by two kneeling Brahmins, symbol of the precious deposit of which he had the keeping. This word and this triangle were engraved upon the tablet of the ring that this religious chief wore as one of the signs of his dignity, it was also framed in a golden sun on the altar where every morning the Supreme Pontiff offered the sacrifice of the Sarvamita, or sacrifice to all the forces of nature. Is this clear enough? And will the Catholics still maintain that it was the Brahmins of 4,000 years ago who copied the ritual, symbols and dress of the Roman Pontiffs? We would not feel in the least surprised. Without going very far back into antiquity for comparisons, if we only stop at the 4th and 5th centuries of our era and contrast the so-called heathenism of the 3rd Neoplatonic Eclectic School with the growing Christianity, the result may not be favorable to the latter. Even at that early period, when the new religion had hardly outlined its contradictory dogmas, when the champions of the bloodthirsty Cyril knew not themselves whether Mary was to become the mother of God, or rank as a demon in company with Isis, when the memory of the meek and lowly Jesus still lingered lovingly in every Christian heart, and his words of mercy and charity vibrated still in the air, even the Christians were outdoing the pagans in every kind of ferocity and religious intolerance. And if we look still farther back and seek for examples of true Christism, in ages when Buddhism had hardly superseded Brahmanism in India, and the name of Jesus was only to be pronounced three centuries later, what do we find? Which of the holy pillars of the church has ever elevated himself to the level of religious tolerance and noble simplicity of character of some heathen? 
Compare, for instance, the Hindu Asoka, who lived 300 BC, and the Carthaginian, St. Augustine, who flourished three centuries after Christ. According to Max Muller, this is what is found engraved on the rocks of Jinnar, Dali, and Kapurdidri. Piyadasi, the king beloved of the gods, desires that the ascetics of all creeds might reside in all places. All these ascetics profess alike the command which people should exercise over themselves, and the purity of the soul. But people have different opinions and different inclinations. And this is what Augustine wrote after his baptism. Wondrous depth of thy words, whose surface, behold, is before us, inviting to little ones, yet are they a wondrous depth, O oh my God, a wondrous depth. It is awful to look therein, yes, an awfulness of honor, and a trembling of love. Thy enemies, read pagans, thereof I hate vehemently, oh, that thou wouldst slay them with thy two-edged sword, that they might no longer be enemies to it, for so do I love to have them slain. Wonderful spirit of Christianity, and that from a Manichaean converted to the religion of one who, even on his cross, prayed for his enemies. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 15 The condition on which we can flood everything good to you, is that you are concerned with the pouring forth of everything good to the rest of life, so that you are a channel for our greater good to come in and bless you. You are an open door and a channel for your greater good to flow onto those you contact. This is a continual giving of greater light from our octave, the greater activities of the sacred fire, and the greater power by which the life in individuals is raised to the place where the individual can make conscious effort to the ascension. While there is very great enjoyment in using all the powers of your own individual life streams in your outer activities, yet the most necessary and the greatest accomplishment that individuals can attain is to consciously understand the ascension is the purpose of physical embodiment. To make effort towards the ascension is not only opening the door to eternal happiness, but it is the attainment of those powers that make you master over the manifestations in this world and other worlds. The mighty outpouring from the Jade Temple is also the direction into the substance of this world, and through the consciousness of mankind, of a certain vibratory action of certain colors. These colors have definite effect within the feeling world and the consciousness of the individuals to whom they are directed. Since the balance is required in the physical octave to keep you insulated against destructive forces, the most necessary thing for mankind to understand is to call forth into the outer self, the activities of the sacred fire of eternal purity. So, when we've sent forth a light ray of a certain color to pour forth into a locality or an individual or some activity of mankind, that which we give is to establish permanently the vibratory action of that particular quality and constructive activity that strengthens everything within the life stream that enables perfection to manifest. So, it is the light we give, the love we give. The sacred fire we give is the sustaining life from our temples of the sacred fire to the bodies of mankind, to the activities of the individual, to establish in this world a greater blessing and perfection and power to produce perfection from our world that gradually closes the door against mankind's, not only mistakes of the past, but mankind's creation of that which is not perfect. So, the temples of the sacred fire and the electronic belts around the physical sun and the great central sun are the individual powerhouses, so to speak, of the ascended masters or cosmic beings who have taken the responsibility of directing to this world what is needed here to shut off mankind's further creation or destruction, and to begin to build here that which will be the permanent blessing of the future. 
Beloved Angel Deva of the Jade Temple If you want to understand something of what the activities from the Jade Temple are, then ask your beloved I am presence and me, to charge you with what we know that activity of life can bring to this world to help you, and to understand what the greater life has placed in our temple of jade to bring forth here its blessings of eternal, expanding power and perfection. Blessed ones, these gifts are in the universe. They are the natural action of life. They are as free as the air you breathe, but they come under obedience to the law. Those who will place their attention upon our activities, ask for the illumination and cooperate by keeping the harmony and purity in the outer self, can open the floodgates to supply that you could not use in a thousand years. We are a part of the supply of the blessings to life in this world. We are part of the divine plan by which blessings are supplied to the people of this world. These greater perfect activities and the blessings of the greater perfection in our temples of the sacred fire are provided by life to arouse mankind to a desire to do something greater and better, and to understand more of the infinite universe by which individuals are surrounded. You may have everything we have and know all we know when you maintain purity in the outer and obedience, which is harmony, use your violet flame and send the adoration of love to your presence and to us. Your mighty Saint Germain told you there is no barrier anywhere in the universe to pure divine love, because it is the sacred fire that can burn its way through everything and produce the perfection that ever transmutes everything in existence into something greater and better, that releases more happiness and more freedom to life, wherever it is called into existence. So, beloved ones, the angelic host's blessing to mankind is without limit. I could go on almost indefinitely and describe some of the greater activities of the angelic host, but if you will use what we have given, then as you are ready for more, we will give more. But there is no use in giving more than you can understand or use at the present time. And you only know as much as you are. You do not know in your feeling anything except what you are. So, if you are to learn what our magnificent blessings to life are, then you must become them. Then you understand them and they automatically will teach you inside of yourselves what the powers are within those blessings, when you use them. Beloved Angel Deva of the Jade Temple